week's edition of the Sports Hog Podcast. As always, I'm Max Zucker, and I have the birthday boy on the other side of the line, Mr. Sean Conway. I know your birthday was Sunday. How did you celebrate? How does it feel to be 27 officially? Uh, 27 feels pretty similar to 26. My knee still hurts, yeah. but that happened when I was 25. So, I mean, that's not even into effect, uh, taken into account. But I had a really good birthday weekend, actually. Friday, I made my birthday dinner since we were supposed to have rain in the forecast Sunday. Um, and I made this uh, Guinness marinated flank steak. And then for the Yum. side, I made a Guinness and Irish cheese beer mac and cheese. Sweet. So that was fantastic. And then our old friend Danny, uh, me and Lindsay met up with him and his girlfriend and went to uh, a secret beach down here at one of the lakes in southern Illinois. And then on my actual nice. birthday, we went hiking at my fa- one of my favorite trails. And then I made this Bailey's-infused Oreo cheesecake. Oh. And it had a Guinness chocolate ganache that I made on top of it. So it was wow. a it was a pretty awesome and pretty fat filling weekend with some of the foods I made, <laughs> and I definitely have to make up for it with uh, with some exercise this week. I went biking yesterday, did twenty seven miles. I did some uh, some boxing workout some this morning right on that there. fight camp app I was telling you about, and got some hikes planned for later in the week for one of my buddies. And uh, yeah, I just gotta work those pounds back down from all the cake I ate this weekend. Hey, it's a good weekend to eat cake, though, man. All those. Uh desserts and the steak and the uh, mac and cheese that all sounded really 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 damn tasty i'm glad you had a successful birthday weekend sean conway uh let's get rolling though with some bids and snubs shall we definitely we're getting started on the first matchups of the second round of this and uh the the inspiration behind this bracket mark burley did move on he'll be taking on tim hudson this week on the bid side of the bracket. On the flip side, on the snub side, we got Lance Berkman and Tommy John. Let's get things rolling, Max. Why don't you tell me a little bit about Tim Hudson and his resume and what makes him stand out against Mark Burley? Well, they, Sean, they have very comparable resumes. I mean, they essentially pitched from the tain, uh, you know same time slot. Hudson from 99 to 2015, and I believe Burley was 2000 to 2015. So, I mean, they literally pitched in the same era, neck and neck. Guys, you know, both had you know multiple 200-inning seasons, uh, very comparable in wins, losses. Uh, Hudson slightly above uh, Burley with 222 compared to 214. I do like Tim Hudson's win percentage, win-loss percentage better than Burley's. He stands at a solid 6.2. Five, Sean. This is a guy who was a four-time All-Star who should have had more All-Star appearances. Was part of those great Oakland, you know, Moneyball Oakland teams. Transitioned nicely into Atlanta as their ace. And hey, even won a World Series at the tail end with the Giants back in 2014. This guy has like a complete um, career. And when you look at their numbers very comparably, Sean... Uh, the only two things that stand out to me that I like Hudson more than Burley is ERA and FIP. Uh, Burley 3.81 ERA compared to Hudson's at a 3.49. And FIP uh, would be the one metric that I see the most difference in. Burley, a 4.11 FIP, and with, would be allowed into the Hall of Fame. That would be the highest FIP for any Hall of Fame pitcher compared to Hudson's at a 3.78. So I'll rest my case there, Sean. What do you think about that? What do you got uh, that might dispel that for Burley? See, and I feel like those numbers are like so comparable that I want to get to you know more specifics in what made them a dominant player. And for me, I still think Mark Burley was a more dominant pitcher. Was Is he a Hall of Fame? That's up for question. But I both of them are definitely in the the hall of the very good. I would say, but what yeah. would in in this competition comparing Burley and Hudson, I would have to give Burley the advantage here because he's already in company with three Hall of Famers for his his durability. Fourteen seasons with over two hundred innings plus. He was only an inning and a third away from making it fifteen straight which would have exceeded these three Hall of Fame pitchers, Greg Maddox, Christy Mathewson, and Phil Niekro. So oh, he's wow. already in, in in really good company with that stat. 
Along with that, he's second all-time in pickoffs, behind Steve Carlton and ahead of Andy Pettit with wow. in pickoffs. He had one of the, one of the most killer pickoff moves for a lefty, especially with and at a hundred career pickoffs. So that's two more than Andy Pettit. Along with that, he had one of the he had the fastest pace, I should say, in MLB history. He's two seconds faster than the next person behind him. He averaged fifteen. Point eight seconds between pitches. So not only wow was he able to face you multiple times a game and still be dominant. So he pitched those eight nine inning games all the time. So pitchers didn't have to you know change the batters didn't have to you know change what they were batting. They were still struggling against Burley for much of the game. On top of that, they didn't have much time to recruit recuperate in between pitches. So they were still tired and fatigued from the last big swing that they might may have missed on because he really painted the corners and then on top of that even if you got on base you weren't gonna you know you weren't safe from his you know his wrath yet because he could possibly pick you off at first outside of that i thought this stat was pretty interesting too everyone knows mark burley had the no-no and the 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 perfect game however he's the only pitcher in mlb history the only pitcher in mlb history to have three complete games where he faced the minimum required batters in 27. He had the no-no, he had the perfect game, and then he had a one-hit 27-batter game along in his career as well. I think with those stats, that puts him a little bit ahead of Tim Hudson in this category. You know, I didn't really know that, especially with that last stat you just gave. That he's the only pitcher to have, you know you know, face the minimum three times. I mean, that's an incredible feat. I knew he was high on the pickoff list. I didn't think he'd beat Andy Pettit. I thought Pettit was too on that list, Sean. Uh, you know, again, his 411 FIP is the only thing that bothers me, but it won't bother me enough this round. I like those other stats that you gave me. Let's let's have Burley move on to the next round, and let's take up to our next matchup now on the snub side of things, Sean, and that's Lance Berkman versus Tommy John. Uh, Tommy John, I'm just going to make a cu- couple cu- quick things. We know he was a four-time All-Star, 61.6 war. I mentioned last time he had 288 wins, and you know that's only uh, 12 away from the magical number 300. I think if he had that 300, we wouldn't really wouldn't be talking about this. And you think about the year, you know, he's obviously the guy known for the Tommy John surgery. The year he did have that surgery. You know, he would have won 300 games in his career. His average, his 162-game average was 13-11, and 11, meaning he would have won 311, uh, 301 games roughly right about, right about there is what you could predict on something like that. So I really don't think we'd have the conversation, um, you know, uh, of him being in the Hall of Fame if he had that magical number 300. Uh, lifetime ERA, 334, and a lifetime FIP right there at 338. I have, I see Ted Loins is in the Hall of Fame with 260 wins and 230 losses, a higher ERA at 367, and he is currently the only Hall of Famer uh, from 1910 present, Sean, to have a FIP over four in the Hall of Fame, right there at 4.01. So I rest my case on Tommy John. He has more wins just as many losses, a better ERA, better FIP, and uh, double the amount of strikeouts that Ted Loyans has, uh, who's also, again, in, in the Hall of Fame. What do you got for Berkman? So Lance Berkman, I'm not sure if he's going to have enough to, to stack up here against Tommy John. Big Puma had a career war of hmm. 52.0. Uh, he sits at 83rd all-time on the home run list. Again, that's not an end-all, be-all to get you to the Hall of Fame, but he had 366 home runs throughout his career batting average 293 like i've mentioned last week as well and then on top of that i thought these were pretty interesting stats mlb history wise he is top 50 in a handful of categories that would be his on base percentage he's sitting at 43rd at 406 he's 40th all time in slug percentage at 537 and he's 28th all time on on base percentage plus slugging which would be 943. He was the two-time uh, NL doubles leader. That was in 2001 and 2008. And he was also the 2002 RBI leader as well for the National League. And he was a six-time All-Star 
I don't know, though, if that's going to be enough to put him over. He wasn't really a great defensive oh, God, no. uh, player. He he was, as an outfielder and a first baseman, I, I would not uh, put him on the, the list of, uh, you know, position players you'd aspire to be like. He was more of what he could do at the plate that uh that made him a great player never finished uh you know higher than number three in the mvp race uh in the votes and everything i mean and then his rookie year he finished sixth in the voting there uh with that said i don't think that's quite enough for berkman to move on here he did have a world series championship with the cardinals and obviously he could not get one with the uh, with what was it the yeah. the, the the three Bs five Astros with yeah. with the Astros uh, Biggio Berkman and uh, who was the uh, the last B in that one Brad Osmus yes yes so I don't think that would be enough for uh, for him to move on here so I, I'm I'm willing to say Tommy John moves on so this oh, week we got Mark too, Burley yeah. and Tommy John moving on next week we got a handful of other matches to continue into the second round. But we're going to take a quick break here on the Sportsaholics podcast. On the flip side of this, we're going to talk all things baseball. We could potentially see baseball within a week or so. Max, I am pumped. Taking us to break is our good friend Jason James with his song, Five. You're listening to the Sportsaholics podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. Five by Jason James here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. Sean, it does look like we will be probably seeing some baseball. You were not lying when we uh, took a break there, Sean. What do you got? What's the what's the meat? What's the details looking like if MLB is going to play in 2020? So let's go back to last week. We were previewing what the current situations were with the negotiations. After the show, the players had countered the owner's 60 game proposal with a 70 game proposal which the owners then in turn rejected saying that anything more than 60 games for this season would not be feasible something they wouldn't be able to do so this past weekend it was really like okay are we gonna get baseball are the players gonna go on strike is rob manford gonna implement a season at his own will and discretion Thankfully, we don't have to, you know, worry about all those what ifs. The owners voted to approve the 60 game um, schedule that they set. They, they they went back to what their original March agreement was, where they can't come up with an, with an agreement on games. The owners would set a schedule at their discretion. The, the players are actually now expected to agree and sign with this. That's what the reports are telling the close sources, I believe Jeff Passan had uh, yes. had tweeted that out that the players are expected to sign. So I kind of trust that kind of a source on that. Um, outside of that, they are expecting a July 24th start to the regular season with a regular scheduled end at September 27th. 
They want to have an expanded playoff format where they're going to have more teams. Uh, and then we'll be getting, I guess, spring training 2.0, or if you want to call it summer training, if you will. Sure. We'll be expected to have players start to report July 1st. So, Max, I'm super excited. We're going to be getting baseball back. I know it's not the full season you were hoping for. Obviously, we have to adjust a little bit due to the pandemic. But we're going to get some baseball, Max. I'm excited. I won't fully believe it's going to happen until I see players on the field. But I'm going to be real excited come July 1st when players and uh, and all them start reporting to their training facilities. Yeah, and that's, again, if COVID doesn't uh, F this up, and we'll get to that in a minute. I mean, I think people know kind of, if you do listen to the podcast, where I stand on this. Uh, my thought, Sean, is, yeah, I, am I excited to get some degree of sports back? Yes, I am. I Do I like the expanded playoffs? No, I don't. I understand it's a revenue booster. You know, yeah. when, when you're during a, hey, during a pandemic, you know, it's just like everyone needing a stimulus check. Look, I know these guys are billionaire owners, but they do need some more revenue to keep the, you know, to you know, keep things flowing and to be able to, you know, continue to pay players millions upon millions of dollars. They absolutely needed to do to do this. I'm like totally against it. I think it makes baseball look weak and lame, in my opinion. Uh, this postseason, just the whole formatting, Sean, is just not. Again, it's just not in my favor. To me, whoever does win the World Series this year, I think I said this maybe two weeks ago on the podcast. Even if it's the Chicago Cubs themselves, and I'm saying that as a diehard Cub fan, you to me are not true World Series champions this year. The difference of a 60 game and 162 game season is astronomically different. You know, again, it will be fun, you know, minus the uh, Tigers, Marlins, and Orioles. You know, that gives pretty much every other team, even the team like the Pirates, honestly, a chance to get into the playoffs, which does make that more uh, compatible, which, again, I do understand that. I just, you know, again, expanded playoffs to me weakens weakens the demeanor of, you know, winning your division and all that stuff that baseball's uh, – you know, it stands for and has stood for for a long for a long time. I know I'm taking that from a traditionalist standpoint. You know, so <laughs> so no. Again, bottom line though, whoever wins this to me should not be considered World Series champion. Yes, you should get a medallion, a trophy. You know, you know some. You know, I don't care if everyone gets a cool new Chevrolet because they whatever won the championship, quote unquote, this year. But I really don't see this year as a true. World Series, especially because you are implementing a brand new playoff system as well. I just don't think that's, uh, you know, again, I just, it is what it is on that. But uh, any more further See, comments? See, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I think a 60-game season, it's just like how the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup back in 2013 on that short, was it 2013 or 2015 for the shortened season? 2013, my friend, because we okay, watched all I, seven, I, I, yeah. I think I was correct, yeah. I was still excited the entire season, and that was from a, a lockout strike. So, if, if I have to adjust the season because, or as a fan, due to a global pandemic, if I'm getting baseball back, I'm excited. If you don't think you're going to be excited the Cubs won the World Series this year, I'm going to hold you to that. You better not have a single beer in celebration, Max. I'm going to hold you to that. Hey, I, I, I said I'd celebrate the championship. I wouldn't celebrate it as a cha- as a World Series championship. Again, I do think you should. Exactly what your point is, right? These guys are going to come to play and compete. They should be playing and competing for something. A World Series trophy? I just don't think it holds. Let me put it this way. I think it's not necessarily a tainted title by any means, but... Um, you know, I think there's going to be an asterisk next to this season. You know, do whatever. So... That's my asterisk. point. At least they didn't cheat to get the World Series, though, no, like, the, exactly. like, the, like the Astros did three years ago. So, so that, I did think, you see that, I though? Think, I saw that as a, as a second. They said, they said, I was reading this, they said that the Astros won, they call it a second tainted title. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Uh, but. It, I, I think the Astros <laughs> should just be excluded from playoff contention. Thank you. That's what thank their you. punishment should that, be. There thank we go. you. Thank no, you. And like, no, during no this, double tainted titles, so... Let's no, during that. this pandemic, so, seriously, that makes the most sense, Sean Conway. I think you actually just bring up a valid point, and that's to reopen the whole case of the Astros here. But I do think during this year when there is 16 teams, and you know the Astros are going to be one of those 16 teams, no doubt in my mind, again, I just go with this. You're not, you know, I mean, you're suspending them from the postseason during a 60-game, 
you know, whatever, landslide. I'm sorry for those fans, but again, those players should not have cheated. But I don't know, Sean, if we're going to see... Speaking of all this baseball talk and discussion, I don't know if we're going to actually see it. 40 players and staff members uh, tested positive when they reopened the spring facility, Sean, last week, which is obviously not a good sign. Uh, Over 10 different facilities have been infected by the coronavirus in the last week. So when I see those, and they've already obviously now shut down the training, they're hoping to, you know, clean and sanitize for a week, like you were saying, report back on July 1st, have about three weeks, you know, to get in shape before what would be a, you know, 60 game season. But during, with all this COVID stuff, um, I, I don't know if, if we actually are. I think, I think we're being actually over hopeful here in, in, to some degree, for a season, I just you know, Doctor mm-hmm. Fauci himself, Sean, said that baseball should not go play late in the fall, and that also means you know, with expanded playoffs, you know, I know it's going to be a little bit different, but I mean, you're going to be hitting a lot of those target deadlines that Fauci is saying, um, you know, is no good, no bueno. Yeah, I mean, I'm hope I'm hoping that they could uh, get the season in before the second wave, you know, can hit and shut everything down. How upsetting would it be? If we got all the way to like the World Series and then all of a sudden the CDC says, boom, nope, no World Series, got to be shut down again, second wave. That's my whole point that I've always made about this too. Manfred, should it came out from the get-go, there should nev- we should have never been able to cover all these player negotiations and what be- went beyond between the owners, the union, Manfred. Manfred should have came out in March and said, due to the coronavirus, I am so sorry for the fans of the game, blah, 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 blah. But we aim- baseball aims to keep its facilities, its players, it's staffers and their, you know, surrounding families safe from the COVID. This is way too many people. It spreads like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And for just, again, generalizing safety stuff, we are looking forward to the 2021 season. Again, we are sorry to all of our fans, you know, as bigger bummer this is. Manfred should have came out and did that from the get-go. Now, again, you've had all these nasty negotiations. Baseball, the union, the players, the Players Association, and especially Manfred himself, everyone looks stupid. Baseball looks bad right now. And when from the get-go, he could have just canceled the season knowing that this was going to probably be spread and something that you know is going to take some time we still don't have a vaccine for it sean so i don't i I just i don't see the logic here he should have shut the show down uh you know from the get-go and and, you know to watch you know this dwindle the way it did was embarrassing for the sport yeah i i agree that might have been the best route however at the moment we're getting baseball so we have that (laughs) to look forward to july 1st is what people are expecting to be the start of summer training, I guess is what we're going to call it. Uh, at least that's what you and I are going to call it, Max. But we're going to take sure. a quick break here on the Sportsaholics podcast. And the next block, we're going to be talking a little bit more about NASCAR and their updates. Actually, a little bit more about how sports has used their influence to try to bring change, societal change, I should say, and how we view you know, one another. You're listening to the Sportsaholics podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. There are a few things Max or I like more than tossing back a few beers and watching the game. But don't worry, if you happen to miss the game, we've got your back. Tune in to the Sports Hawk Podcast with myself, Max Zucker, alongside Sean Conway, with new episodes available weekly on SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with new shows and our occasional takes on things happening in the sports world throughout the week. We're back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. Sean, NASCAR, like we've talked before, is not something we discuss on this show because of their bigotry culture, and more of it uh, showed this weekend in Talladega when the only black driver, Bubba Wallace, there was a noose found in his locker. I mean, just what an incredible shame that is for whoever laid that there, just for the implications that that has. I mean... It just shows how 
how sick again this NASCAR culture really is. I mean, the amount of Confederate flags there were at Talladega, you know, this weekend was truly disturbing. I'm glad Bubba Wallace had some support, though, from one of the greatest, if not the greatest, ever to really make a stance here, and that's uh, the king himself, Richard Petty. Uh, he's 82 years old now, Sean. I think that's, I was like, wow, I didn't know Petty was that uh, old anymore. But he quote-unquote called out the person for as a sick person, wants that person expelled from NASCAR uh, for, again, whoever put the noose in Bubba Wallace's uh, locker. Uh, <coughs> Petty decided to travel to Talladega after the noose was found, and he said, quote-unquote, the most important thing for me right now is hugging my driver, end quote, and that's where I'll leave that too. As terrible as this is, I'm glad somebody like Petty is going to step up there, you know, stand next to him for, for the national anthem, go out there, give him a hug. I mean, this is about as big as NASCAR uh, gets, you know, with Petty here. Um but yeah, I'm glad he had, the, obviously, the support for Wallace. And again, just it's the true shame of the NASCAR fans, the one who left the news, and those who, uh, you know, paraded the Confederate flag like it was no big deal this weekend. It made me sick. Yeah, so like we mentioned last week, NASCAR officially put a ban on the Confederate flag being displayed at their events. And it, you know, had a pretty prominent presence before because it, it, it's a largely Southern culture sport nascar is so a lot of their you know a lot of their fans are the the of the same variety who fly the confederate flag because it's heritage not hate even though it it's it's hate so it is um that was in response to bubba watson call uh, bubba watson excuse me bubba wallace bubba watson is a golfer yes. <laughs> bubba wallace had called for the flag to be banned and nascar responded the next day like we mentioned last week Talladega, or Geico 500, I should say, it's no longer the Talladega 500, um, was meant to be like the first event really sent, uh, or the second event of the year, I should say, for NASCAR, and it was going to be like kind of the first, how they see how it plays out. Well, the, the South came out and showed their ass, I should say, because the boulevard outside of the Talladega Super Speedway was just lined with cars flying, the Confederate flags and everything. There was a plane that flew over with the confederate flag and i forget what the message said underneath but it was something real snarky and has made you uh, just wanted Defun to punch the pilot fun nascar is what it said it's yeah it's a defund nascar because of all the people who are saying defund the police they're like no defund nascar for not letting me fly my racist hate flag anyway right, exactly you had mentioned bubba wallace had found a noose in his garage and the real upsetting part of this is only drivers crew and other officials are allowed in the garage area so it was someone from Jesus. within so if it wasn't ray sicarelli with his ignorant i'm not racing next year because my flag or if it was you know someone else who was quietly offended by nascar removing their hate flag did this i agree i hope that nascar they're investigating right now and i hope they find out who is responsible for that and once they are, I hope they're banned for life, and I hope uh, they're also shunned for life in public. They'll never be able to show their face in public again. So no, outside of that, I think that's perfect. outside of that though. God decided to uh, to put a little bit of revenge on those uh, those ignoramuses on Sunday for flying the Confederate flag just to protest their their you know their their rats. Yeah, rats. and uh, God decided to rain them out. So the Geico 500 got rained out on Sunday. People were able to come back and uh, enjoy the race on Monday. But there was a nice, a nice moment I wanted to add, along with Richard Petty coming to the race yesterday for for his driver. They um, at the start they had the entire field walked Bubba uh, Wallace's car to the front of the line with him in there. He hops out, takes a selfie with everyone, takes off his mask to show the person who ever left that noose that he was not going to let them, you know, prevent him from being happy and then smiling, enjoying life. And he was, you know, embracing a lot of his fellow drivers, real tight knit community in NASCAR. It was cool to see that outside of that, he finished 14th on the day, real exciting last lap. There was a bunch of wrecks. Ryan Blaney ended up taking the top spot at the Geico 500. So that was the second race in NASCAR. Probably going to be the end of our coverage of NASCAR unless 
there's more developments in these racial matters that have been bringing it into our, our podcast. But outside of that, there were some other things I wanted to talk about on how sports was using their influence to affect societal change and how we, you know, view and interact with one another. Let's start with another sport we don't really talk all that much about, the MLS. Max, why don't you take the lead on this story? Yeah, sure. Uh, the So black players from the MLS have formed the Black Coalition, uh, of uh, or the Black People's Co- Coalition of the MLS, Sean. It's just going to, you know, it really is going to be about including diversity and whatnot. Uh, Toronto FC defender Justin Morrow is the organization's executive dire- uh, director and pretty much had this, not quote-unquote to say, but this was kind of the gist of what the BPC is all about. He said it will address the racial inequalities in our league, stand with all those fighting racism in the world of soccer, and positively impact black communities across the United States and Canada. I think this is a great thing, Sean. I think other uh, sports should kind of do the same thing, should form a coalition exactly, you know, to help inform and, um, you know, help spread social justice. I think this is actually a really cool thing. I'm glad, actually, that the MLS is first to do this, Sean, because in my opinion, I believe soccer, especially world soccer, not, but in the MLS too, but especially in world soccer, I believe that is probably the most racist in a lot of ways. There's a lot of racism, a lot of discrimination that goes on in world soccer, a little bit less in the MLS, but it's still happens so I'm glad that soccer is kind of going to be this first to form a coalition to try to end some of this equalities like I said I really think it'd be great if baseball football hockey basketball you know we you know basketball players or some of those guys want to take a stance too right now Sean so why not form a coalition I think that'd be a great idea for the NBA you know and again other sports leagues moving forward I agree and you know I, I believe I have seen the NBA players um, you know discussing forming a coalition to uh you know address these these you know desires to change across the board um one thing that the nfl is doing uh, a lot of players have voiced that they're going to be taking a knee this year in solidarity with the protest that colin kaepernick had started a handful of years back and now with a lot of players joining that the taking a knee movement to uh you know show the solidarity roger goodell is even been outspoken and saying he believes it's time for a team to seriously consider signing Colin Kaepernick. And honestly, it might be time. There's a handful of teams that could really use him either as a starter or as a very solid backup. I know I've seen a lot of comparisons or not comparisons, um, you know, recommendations that he should sign a backup deal for the Ravens or the Chiefs because he would fit in those systems pretty well. I personally think there's a couple other places that he might land, and I figured that's something we could talk about this week, Max, on sure. you know teams that possibly should consider signing Colin Kaepernick. I'll go first. First one obvious on the list would be the Los Angeles Chargers. After getting rid of Phillip Rivers, they're left with their draftee from this year, Justin Herbert, as well as Tyrod Taylor. Neither, neither of those two really are someone you would want to have the role of starting quarterback or I wouldn't say want but none of those you'd actually fully trust Tyrod Taylor is a great backup quarterback not yes. sure if he would be the guy you want running it and Justin Herbert he's probably not going to be ready for a year or two before he's ready to play at an NFL caliber so why not bring Colin Kaepernick in give him a couple workouts see if he's fit for the system on top of that another good fit for him would be the Detroit Lions I mean, they have Matt Stafford, who missed, uh, I think, almost the entire season last year. If not all of it, he missed uh, the majority of it with injury. He missed a good, yeah, 12 games. He's been injury-prone for the last handful of seasons on top of that. And then they signed a a backup quarterback who has not had anywhere near a stellar career. He's had, I think, he's had five starts in, was it 11 seasons? Five starts in 11. you're talking about, Chase Daniel. He's had yeah. six touchdowns and four interceptions. Right. Not sure if you want him running the offense either. I think he would fit well under their offensive coordinator's plans. And uh, so I think either the Lions or the Chargers would be a solid place for Kaepernick to land. What about you? Anywhere else you see? 
Yeah, I mean, I've heard the Chargers actually potentially reaching out to him. I've also heard the Raiders, which it doesn't surprise me because he played for the 49ers and that he might want that he might have ties to those West Coast, you know, California teams. So that part isn't shocking to me. I don't think he'd be a great fit though with Gruden and the Raiders. Uh Two spots, I and mean, here's what you got to think about with Kaepernick. He's been out of the league for three years, and yeah, I think mostly because of racial injustice, but that doesn't mean the guy can come in and be a starting quarterback, you know, from day from day one. It's the hardest position in any sport. It's not a knock to Kaepernick, who I think does deserve a second chance. So the question is, are you coming in to try to be a starter right away? Because if you are, you got maybe two two or three chances like you said the one with the chargers i i would think our hometown chicago bears sean would make sense with trubisky and Foles. you really don't have uh you know you haven't seen what you like from trubisky you don't know necessarily enough about Foles. You, you you like the idea of him as a backup but maybe not as a starter so i think kaepernick would work there uh jacksonville i know you guys had Minshew mania last year but how sold are you on gardner Minshew going forward I think that would be a logical place if, again, Kaepernick's really trying to enter the starting battle from the get-go. My personal preference, though, Sean, where I think Kaepernick could make a couple, where I think it would be at least just a good start, maybe on a one-year deal, would be Atlanta uh, for a couple okay. different reasons. We know Matt Ryan is going to be the starter, and I just think for your first year back in the league, you might want to, you know, exactly take some football drills you know, you know, take a couple snaps, you know, during, you know, sloppy time when the game doesn't matter as much and they're not trying to have, you know, Matt, you know, run your $30 million quarterback uh, out there. So I think there'd be some adjustment. And we all know Matt Ryan's a pretty good, uh, susceptible guy. He donated $500,000 to Black Lives uh, Matter, the Atlanta ch- uh, Charter. Um, and I just think... Uh, I think Atlanta would be a great place for Kaepernick to also use his uh, platform to help solve uh, racial, you know, inequality and racial injustice. I think Atlanta's a, you know, a town that has seen a lot of discrimination in their life, and I think having a guy like Kaepernick, even in a backup role, would emulate the city. And then who knows, you know, exactly a year in the NFL, Sean. Who knows where Kaepernick goes from there? He proves himself as a bat as a backup. You know, again, Matt Ryan's going to be there, you know, making the $30 million, so he's locked. But that doesn't mean that uh, then from there that Kaepernick couldn't get a second chance to start. That's that's my logical way of looking at it, I guess. Okay, okay. Uh, right before we close out this block, we want to yes. move into college football. We haven't talked about, actually not even just college football, college sports in general. So last week, the commissioner <laughs> of the SEC had made it aware that he was planning on uh, telling the state of Mississippi that he would bar championship events from happening in their state if they did not consider changing the state flag, which has the stars and bars of the Confederate flag up in the corner of the flag. So it's, it's, it's present in that. And then about 12 hours later, the NCAA followed suit with that. And even up the ante a little bit, saying that they're banning championships from happening in states where the Confederate flag has a symbolic and prominent presence. So that could be left up for interpretation. Does that mean like Mississippi where it's on the state flag or in the case of kind of like similar like with NASCAR where you can go to an event and potentially see Confederate flags flying outside? Think about it as an athlete. If, if you're if you, if you were an athlete and had to go up to an arena and you're walking in and you see Confederate flags flying all throughout the parking lot, you're probably not going to feel too comfortable going in and playing that game there. So True. I can understand the NCAA taking the, taking this stance, and I think it's a strong move. I think it's going to solidify bringing some more change and eliminating confederate symbolism throughout the south as a whole and hopefully even bring spark on some change at the state level in mississippi to remove that state flag and change it up because outside of the, the league and you know the the ncaa as a whole banning it we even have players now stepping up and throwing their hat into this saying they're not going to stand for this anymore max why don't you tell us about kylan hill 
Oh, man, he's just one of the great examples. Think about it, too. He does have a presence, too. He's one of the top returning running backs in the SEC this year. He rushed for 1,350 yards, 10 rushing touchdowns last year, and has about 2,500 career rushing yards in the SEC. So this is a guy, you know, who's going to go to the draft probably one day, too. This is a guy who I'm really happy has spoke up to use his platform. Um. Exactly. He said, uh, Kylan Hill on social media said that, you know, he will not play for the Bulldogs this up and coming season unless the state flag is changed. This was in response to what the Mississippi governor, Tate Reese had to say. They were talking about a proposal in state legislature about creating a second Mississippi flag. And Tate Reese, quote unquote, said, does not meet the threshold and would divide our state more. What an absolute stupid thing to say, Sean Conway. And in response, Hill tweeted, either change the flag or I won't be representing this state anymore. I meant that. I'm tired. And right, exactly. Like the rest of this country. I'm just surprised they, oh, we're going to make a second flag so our racist citizens and residents of our state still have racism. But then the people who don't want to have racism can have their own flag. No, change the flag. You do not need to have that flag. So I, I completely back Kylan Hill here. I hope his protest is successful. Hopefully they can change yes. that state flag. Yeah, if not, if I'm him with my senior year, with the career he's had, I'm transferring. I'm saying good, bye, exactly. Or I'll sign with an NFL team as an unrestricted free agent. The kid has the talent. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, or, uh, you know, or undrafted free agent, I should say. But, exactly. I would, exactly. And, again, like, Tate Reeves, like, exactly. Screw you. The fact that you would even say that, I mean, it just shows, again, how bad politics are, Sean, in our country. Let's not go on that rant right now. But, I mean, that just shows you how... How far still this country is away, but I am glad exactly that players across different leagues, you know, are starting to really, uh, you know, take them in and step up. Hopefully, like we were saying, Kaepernick will get signed, Sean. I think that would be a huge step for the National Football League. Like I was saying, hopefully more correlations will... um, you know what? You know will be filled throughout the leagues, and we can really start attacking these inequality matters. You know, throughout. You know, exactly. And using sports as the pedigree, I really do, do think it will set uh, set the bar um, for most, at least. But either way, let's take a quick break here on the Sports Holic Podcast, Sean. On the flip side of this break, I got my weekly trivia question. You got your drink of the week, fight corner, and I'll tell us what we missed right here on the Sports Holic Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that, but you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. And we're here for the final lap on the Sportsaholic Podcast, Sean, today. We were talking earlier, Sean Conway, uh, in our bids and snubs about Mark Burley and Tim Hudson. Uh, Burley, obviously, this time we'll go uh, move on. But let's bring one last piece of cool news in for Tim Hudson for this segment. Tim Hudson, in 2014, at age 39 years old and 107 days, is the oldest pitcher to start a Game 7 of the World Series. So not just any game, but in that crucial Game 7 of the World Series. Tim Hudson is the oldest player again. He did so with the Giants when they played the Royals in 2015. Um, Granted, Bumgarner pitched most of that game, if you recall, in relief. Five innings or something in relief and just killed it for them. But uh, won this World Series MVP, but that's not the point today. My trivia for you today, Sean, is can you name me the four next oldest guys in line to start a Game 7? Again, not just any game, but a Game 7 of the World Series. Two are in the Hall of Fame. One should be in the Hall of Fame, but won't be, in my opinion. And the other guy is a guy that we've seen in our lifetime. Well, I know Roger Clemens is going to be the one that should be in the Hall of Fame, but won't be. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, he did it 39 years and 92 days. Okay. And in our lifetime. Ooh, game seven, old pitchers. Ooh, I know. Um, What was his name from the Cardinals, 2006? Chris Carpenter. Yeah, Chris Carpenter's on that list, correct? Okay. Age 36, 140. Uh, 184 days old. Other two guys are Hall of Famers. Pretty notable, notable names. Like they're already Hall of Famers, or, or okay, yes, these so, two guys so are. Bartolo are yeah, these two out. guys Bartolo are in the Hall. out, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he 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 would he would have been like 40 something years old when he pitched in the World Series with the Mets in 2015, but he did not make a start. Okay. Um. What era are these guys from? One of the get. Uh, if I gave you the the year from this guy, I think you I think you would get it just on the year alone. Nineteen twenty five. Just great pitchers from that. Yeah, Walter Johnson. The other guy, Sean. Um, you know, Tim Hudson might not be the one to win this, but Mark. Uh, you know, Burley was the guy to go on. Think about uh, his last name, essentially. And you and flip it to this guy's first name. Oh, um, Burley Grimes. Yeah, Burley Grimes. Sorry, that was kind of a stupid clue, but I was like, hmm, Burley, Burley. Uh, yeah, Burley Grimes in 1931 was 38 and 53 days, and those are the five oldest guys to start a game seven of the World Series. Sean Conway, you did really good with that list. Um, uh, I was, yeah, really, very impressive. You know, I would I, when I played this myself. I think I only got Johnson and Carpenter out of, out of this. I didn't get Clemens or um, or Grant. So very good on the list. What are you drinking on this week, Sean Conway? Well, it was my birthday weekend this past weekend, so I got yes, a yes, nice yes, little yes. tasty birthday bottle for myself, and it is a Tullamardew twelve year reserve Irish whiskey. So it's uh it's a uh, a little bit Ooh. more aged, hell, a lot more smooth. I mean, I tend to like my Irish whiskey on the rocks. This one is so smooth you can drink it at room temperature and not really feel much of a bite. Got a little bit of uh, nutty and oaky uh, aftertastes on, on on the end, uh, the tail end of the of the you know the flavor. But definitely one of the easier okay. whiskeys to sip on if 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 you do drink your whiskey how I drink mine, which is, you know, just straight with a little bit of ice. I don't, as you well know, drink a lot of, of whiskey. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a wine or hard liquor guy overall. Although if I do dabble into a little bit of hard liquor, it is traditionally uh, whiskey. And I do, as like the only, I, I don't mind having the occasional shot, but I normally do. I mix mine like I like a Jameson and ginger ale, or even like a Tullamore Dew and a Sprite. Like I don't know for whatever reason, I like the the whiskey and pop uh, uh, taste. But no, that does sound good. Twelve, like you said, twelve years age. That would be a whiskey that you know exactly. That at least be willing to to take a sample of. Hell yeah, hell yeah. All right, Max, what did we miss this week? All right, real quick, Sean Conway, we got three things we missed on. Um, speaking of race and racism, I think everyone knows who Marge Schott is. Uh, she was the owner of the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, she died back in 2004. And if you remember, in 1996, Major League Baseball banned Schott from Riverfront Stadium where the Reds played in day-to-day -day operations after her comments about Hitler. Uh, the University of Cincinnati now, Sean, will remove Marge Schott's name from its baseball stadium, uh, citing you know the Reds owner for uh, her record of racism and bigotry. I am all in for this move, but the Board of Trustees at Cincinnati on Monday unanimously voted to remove her name from the stadium. I thought that was a good move. Uh, speaking of other owners, the Detroit Lions, Sean Conway, have a new, well, passed down owner, I guess, here as Martha Firestone Ford, the 94-year-old owner, has stepped down and Sheila Ford Hamp, her daughter, is going to succeed uh, her mom is the team's principal owner and chairman, so best of luck there. Keeping the um, 
keeping the uh, the the Lions in the Ford family, though, Sean, that's an important thing for them. I'm sure their fan base was like, please sell, please sell, please sell, but not the case in here. Speaking of potential sales here, too, Alex Rodriguez and J-Lo, we know, have uh, put their bid in to potentially buy the Mets. Well, they are bringing in billionaire Sean Mike Repol uh, into their group. This man is uh, going to potentially invest another... Uh, billion dollars into what this state could be so i would think that would strengthen the chances of eight rod and j-lo's chance of now buying the mets now that they've had repoll into their group we'll see if the Wilpons will make that sale anytime soon what do you got for us in fight corner sean well, this past weekend we had another fight night in the ufc curtis blades defeating alexander volkov by decision in five rounds for the heavyweight main event and then outside of that, Josh Emmett handing Shane Burgos his second career loss with a win by decision in three rounds for the featherweight co-main event. That was this past week, and not really a whole lot of uh, excitement going on in those in those bouts, but we do have another fight night coming up. It was supposed to be in Austin, but it will be at the UFC Apex. And uh, this will be this Saturday. We got Dustin Poirier taking on Dan Hooker in a lightweight main event, and Mike Perry and Mickey Gall going at it for the co-main event in a welterweight bout. So next week, we could talk a little bit about what happened in those bouts. On top of that, we'll have Andrew Jones and Billy Wagner going head-to-head in the next matchup on the bid side of the bracket, and Pete Rose and Don Mattingly face off on the snub side. And then, well, you know, we're potentially closing in on the start of summer training, so maybe we'll get a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of preview action on what to potentially look for, maybe some updates on how the leagues are handling COVID and seeing if there's any more updates in, you know, how sports have used their platform to bring about the societal change and things we've been talking about here lately on the Sportsaholics podcast. Until then, I'm going to have a few more beers, Max. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to have a little more of that Tullamore Dew and a few beers to watch that uh, Tullamore Dew down. Sean, you enjoy that, sir. Again, thanks to Jason James for providing his song five today to the weekly fans and listeners of the show. We could not do this without you, so much appreciate and support as always. And, Sean, exactly like you said, we'll talk here more on the Sportsaholic Podcast next week. Hopefully there will be some more stuff to talk about. Again, the inequalities that are going on, as I do believe this is a really important time, and these are really important subjects in this time uh, to really cover and, you know, uh, you know exactly, to try to help us, you know, mold our world into a better place than it has been because, obviously, oppression is a real thing and exists, and the sooner we can, uh, you know, rush to stop it, the best of it, you know, the best this country goes on. So with that quick rant, uh, we're going to close off here on the Sportsaholic Podcast this week. Signing off for Sean Conway, I'm Max Zucker. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.